You're listening to Highly Unlikely. I'm Jonathan Flannis. Today, I'll be talking to Tulsi Vagiani. In 1990, Tulsi was one of a few to have survived Indian Airlines Flight 605, which crashed in Bangalore, India, killing 92 people. In this episode, she tells us how she survived this nightmare and how it transformed her life in every way. Welcome aboard. Welcome aboard the spacious cabin. Attractively decorated, air-conditioned, but draft-free. Roominess extends even to the powder rooms, which look like those in a private home. A new concept in air transportation. The travail has been taken out of travel. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We are now at cruising altitude, 35,000 feet. Our flying speed is 575 miles per hour. It was a pleasure to have you aboard our jet clipper. We hope to have you with us again soon. Thank you. Airplanes. There's not a lot to like. They're cramped, full of stale air and two-year-olds. Plastic cups too small for anything but ice. Wedgies spilling peanuts on the ground every time you move your tray. They're no blast. Unfortunately, air travel is a necessity these days. And scary and uncomfortable they may be, planes are actually pretty safe. Let Superman tell you. Well, I certainly hope this little incident hasn't put you off flying, miss. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. Supicide, it's still maybe the scariest thing you can imagine, crashing a plane. Technically, a fear of flying is classified as a phobia, although I would argue it's not unrealistic. There's something uniquely horrifying about plunging hundreds of miles an hour towards solid ground in a metal tube you cannot control. A fear that Hollywood knows well. And then I held the mirror up and the person in the mirror wasn't me. This is Tulsi. I first heard about Tulsi following a powerful review of one of her motivational speeches. So I did a little research and thought her story would be an amazing one to share. It turns out she's been on CNN and a bunch of media in the UK, shows, newspapers. But to tell her story right, let's turn the clock back. I grew up in a very loving family. My mom was born in Kenya. My dad was born in India. They've been here for several years and obviously got married. She had a big family. Which has consisted of like 24 villages like where I live in India. Very community-based. So again, coming from a tight-knit community. We'd have community functions. So 
I grew up with that. It's a very like community feel, always family gathering, family's always nearby. So for me, that was my norm. Very loving family. I had a little brother who was four years um, old. So again, like I said, you know, very loving, very nurturing, um, quite liberal for that time. You know, I think if you rewind 30s odd years ago, especially in an um, Indian South Asian community. That was just how I grew up. Tulsi had lived a happy, middle-class, normal life. But everything would change on a family trip to India. So I was in the last stage of my primary education. So this is before I was just about to go to high school. My parents decided that let's take the children for like an adventure holiday to India. Dulcie's dad was excited. He can see his granddad who he hasn't seen 23 years. And just give like, guess me and my brother like a cultural tour of India, the whole thing. Off we went. So the family flies to India. So this was February uh, 1990. So we're going in there. So we saw my great granddad in the village that we come from. And it was lovely. It's an amazing experience meeting my great granddad. Not many people can, you know, say that they've got their great granddad. So it's such a cool experience. Yes, yeah, so we traveled to Mumbai and we had family friends. So we left a lot of our luggage there and me and my brother wanted to go Goa because we'd seen the beaches. This was our first family holiday away, not having really seen a beach as such. So we were excited that we wanted to go Goa, but my parents decided to choose Bangalore. Tulsi was disappointed. And to be fair with you, I had no idea what Bangalore was, what it was about, what it was even famous for. So, you know, we were really disappointed. As the vacation was coming to an end, Tulsi and her family got on a plane. She and her brother weren't in good moods. I can remember, you know, me and my brother were quite upset and I think we were being quite bratty where these guys just wanted to get on the plane and me and my brother were like, just couldn't be bothered. And then I sort of, obviously we got on the flight to Bangalore and then I remember fighting with my brother because he got to sit by the window and I didn't. You're the oldest sibling and the younger one gets their way. It's quite annoying. <laughs> Dulce and her family were joined by 135 other passengers, including eight crew. Flight 605 took off. The time was 11.48 a.m. A little bit about the setup. The plane was called an Airbus A320-231. The captains were Captain S.S. Gopujar, who was in command of the flight, and Captain C.A. Fernandez, a pilot with little experience. The first hour of the flight are pretty uneventful. A bit of turbulence, but nothing the pilots couldn't handle. But then came the descent into Bangalore. As the plane approached the ground, passengers and most of the crew remained blissfully ignorant of the disaster they would shortly face. After all, it seemed like a normal landing was taking place. What they didn't know was that the pilots had wildly miscalculated their speed during the final approach. As the plane approached the ground, only the pilots knew what was about to happen. Descent was happening way too quick. Without enough energy to reach runway number 9, the only place available to land was a golf course, 2300 feet short of their established runway. 
the plane is plummeting faster and faster. At this point, with the plane at just 200 feet, Captain Fernandez realizes what's taking place and says, Hey, we're going down. These final words were later recovered in the plane's black box. They plummet. 100 feet. 50 feet. 25. 10. 5. The plane smashes into the ground as it hits the green of a golf course. The impact causes several people's seatbelts to fail. People are thrown from their seats. After the first bounce, the plane glides in the air for nearly 1.194 seconds. The plane hits the ground for the second time. Engines and landing gear are ripped from the aircraft. The plane bounces one last time, 230 feet, propelling it up and over a road. The plane is now moving on its own, and there is nothing the pilot can do to stop it. The plane crashes into the ground one last time, and smashes into a 12-foot-high embankment. The plane is ripped apart, strewn all over the ground. It's quiet, but not for long. The plane's forward portion is engulfed in flames. The fire starts moving towards the back of the plane. Those alive but unable to move have no chance of getting out. The rear left door is swung open and a handful of survivors escape. The majority of passengers, however, would never make it out. 92 passengers died that day. A later investigation by the Indian government would place the blame at the pilot's use of descent flight idle control mode. In an Airbus aircraft, you have both managed descent and open descent. In a managed descent, the plane calculates the descent profile and the computer decides when the descent begins. In an open descent, the computer has no intervention on the descent process. It's up to the pilot to manage the whole thing. Unfortunately, Flight 605's pilots didn't do the math right, allowing the aircraft to sink far below the correct flight path. They further failed to advance the throttles or pull up even after the radio altitude calls out as the aircraft approaches landing. But back to Tulsi. So Tulsi remembers getting on the plane, fighting with her brother, and then... nothing. Until she's surprised to hear her grandmother's voice. And that's what I remember. And then literally the next thing is I hear my grandmother's voice. And I left my grandmother back in the UK. So to hear her voice so close to me was quite weird. In my head, I thought she's come on the plane and surprised us. So Tulsi wakes up and has no idea the plane she was just in crashed. What she said to me was, Tulsi, you've been involved in an accident. Uh, your mum, dad, and Gamlesh, which is my brother. All had died. So Tulsi lost her brother, mom, and dad. What do you mean? Like, you're on the plane with me. What, what are you saying? Being 10, I'm now confused because suddenly, where's my mom and dad? I can't see them. 
like I couldn't see anything anyway. My eyes were bandaged. Tulsi's grandma was in agony. She's crying, and and for anyone who knows my grandma, you know, especially that Asian generation, they they never showed their emotions, and for her to cry was like. Why are you crying if you've come to surprise us? This is such a weird thing. Here I am fighting with my brother and remembering that here I am hearing my grandmother's voice. Tulsi has no recollection of what happened or even where she is. But she's, you know, telling me you look different. You're in hospital. Um, don't be scared, did what she said. And then a young medic doctor again comes on and says, but don't be scared, Lucy, I'm going to be looking after you. You're okay. You're in hospital. You're safe. And there's been a big emergency. I'm going to take care of you. And it still hasn't registered that something massive has happened to me. She's now 10 and without a family. I'm flown back from India to the UK now. And there I'm greeted by my other family, you know, like aunts and uncles and cousins and everything, and they they literally said the same thing. Dulce, you've been involved in a plane crash. Um, your mum, dad and Gomesh are no more. You look different and they're crying. Um, I have no idea what's going on. So again, when I hear their voices, all I remember is like, have they come on the plane to surprise us as well? So in my head, I thought they've all come on this holiday. It hasn't registered that the information that they're telling me is actually what's actually happened. Her 10-year-old mind just can't comprehend what happened. When my eyes are bandaged, I guess, you know, I'm in and out of um, surgery, various skin grafts, um, plastic surgery, you know. But that wasn't all. Obviously, to try and keep me alive because of the smoke inhalation. There's so much is going on. Although she's fighting to survive, she's no longer alone. My family has come to visit me literally every day. And to where my hospital is, to where I live, all my family live, is quite a journey. And, you know, bearing in mind they were a really young family at the time, they had young children. So the commitment that they gave me every day, it's almost like I didn't know any different. I just felt loved all the time, you know? Bearing in mind their loss as well, of course, you know, they've lost a sister, they've lost a brother, obviously a nephew, a grandchild. You know, the loss is severe. And then they have this, you know, girl who survived, but looks so different and life is going to be very uncertain. That's quite a lot. Come about four to six weeks after my accident, they removed the bandages from my eyes, of course, just to check everything. Tulsi needed to know what she looked like. I'm very much have insisted I want to see myself in the mirror. And when I've asked the nurses to, like, I want to see myself in the mirror, you can see the kind of concern. And I was just, I was really enthusiastic because in myself, I just felt like me. She didn't know how much had changed. I didn't feel like this girl who's lost her family or looks different. I just felt like me. The laughing, joking, the boisterous, you know, that was me. So she got ready to see. In the room, I believe there was my um, consultant, the nurse. And I'm just so enthusiastic about seeing myself in this mirror that they were like, hang on, I don't think she really realizes just exactly what's happened here. 
And then I held the mirror up. And the person in the mirror wasn't me. Like, I really thought somebody drew that face on, like, is this some sort of joke? You know when someone plays a prank and it literally felt like that. Like somebody drew that face on and thought it was funny. As I was blinking and moving my mouth, I realized, oh, wow, okay, that's me. Because obviously the person in the mirror was doing exactly that. And then I looked down at my left hand, which at that time was really red, raw, um, and had metal um, rods kind of sticking out my fingers so that they, they, they could be straight. And I looked at it and I thought, wow. So it hit me, something has happened. Now, whether I was naive or optimistic, I really felt that in a year's time, there's going to be this sort of magic cloth and this will all disappear. And I was, it's okay. Don't worry, I'm not always going to look like this. And it's quite a weird thing to say. I truly believed that that's what was going to happen. So when I was discharged from hospital, in my head, I, I just thought they were going to see Tulsi and Tulsi, not a girl with burns. The reality is that's not the case. So it's time for Tulsi to leave the hospital, which had served as kind of her home for months. A place she was accepted for who she was, Burns and all. No, but that couldn't last forever. When I left hospital, it's where the name calling, people staring, crossing the road in case they caught something. Really cruel stuff. Kids throwing things at me to see what kind of emotions I have. Do I have any emotions? Consistent everyday battle of facing that every time I left my house. It soon hit me that, wow. This isn't going to go away. But there were some good places she could go to to feel better. My safe haven was hospital or at home. But she had to learn how to reintegrate. My grandparents would send me out on little errands, like go and get the milk. I hated it because it was like every time I had to do that, it was the things I had to face and endure. I know now why they did it, but at that time it was so hard. Why would you send me out in public knowing I'm going to be ridiculed. In hindsight now, obviously I get it, but it was tough. But the school was really great and they um, they prepped students for her arrival. This is what she's going to look like. These are the pressure garments she's going to wear. Above all, just make friends with her, you know, like you would anybody else. And um, me, school, again, was my safe haven. I'm fortunate that I didn't have bullying in school, very lucky. But the outside world wasn't so great. Anywhere that there was public, it was very, really tough. Like, looking back on that time, I never really appreciated just how much I'd gone through because I just thought this was normal. When somebody looks different, it's like they have to pacify themselves just so that they can integrate with society. And I think that was quite tough for me that I just had to go, oh, well, it's. It's part and parcel of having burns. And it shouldn't be that way. Yes, yeah, so I think that side of things was really tough for me. 
So during the interview, I asked Tulsi um, what she would say to that younger version of herself going through all that, if she could. Like, I'm really sorry that I was hard on you. Um, I'm really sorry that you went through a lot of self-hate because I did. Because I never felt good about myself because I lost obviously all my self-esteem and um, self-worth. Even in relationships, I was just grateful that somebody even looked at me. So even if somebody looked at me, I gave it my all because I didn't love myself. I equated love to sex. So I do talk back at that child and say, gosh, if only you knew what self-love was and if only you knew what being your own version of beautiful is, I guess the ride wouldn't have been as tough as it was. My loss and everything that I've been through, so that I am able to share my story today. But years ago, growing up, I was made to feel ashamed of it. Like, if I don't talk about it, no one's going to learn what it's like to come out of adversity. And no one's exempt from pain and suffering. I, you know, we, we do in whatever way, loss, um, bereavement, anything, you know, body image, we, we all suffer something. We're just knowing that we don't have to suffer alone. I think for me is is quite important. You know, I went on to do a counseling certificate course. At 14, she was already changing people's lives. People used to talk and stop me on the street and just tell me their life story. I mean, I was like 14 years old and I remember a woman met me at a bus stop and she told me about a miscarriage. And I'm like, at 14, I don't even know what that is. Again, so I talk about very openly about my own mental health struggles. Culturally, like coming from a South Asian background, we don't talk about it. We do brush things under the carpet and we perceive ourselves to be a perfect, perfect community. So nothing happens to us. And yet here I am, little Tulsi who's had loss, who looks different, who can't sustain a relationship, who flits in and out of friendships, never quite knowing who she is. Where does she go? Where does she fit into this? So I suffered in silence. And that led to some dark times. You know, when my depression started was I was putting on weight because I was comfort eating. And people don't talk about comfort eating as an eating disorder as such. You know, we don't really focus on that, but that's what I had. I had an eating disorder because anything and everything I ate, it was just numbing the pain. That's why I like to talk about my journey because it's just that somebody who's suffering in silence just knows actually they don't have to. If some if some part of my story can bring something to someone, then that's why I've got to share it. And I think this is the first time, it's quite weird that it came to this stage, that I actually wanted to give up because mm. it was just too much. Um, like, you know, it sounds bizarre when you think like I survived the plane crash and you know, obviously all my loss, um, all of that. And I never wanted to give up. But now I just wanted to because the pain was so intense. The whole experience was so intense. And I thought, if this is what normal looks like, I don't want it. And I'm not particularly religious. I mean, I've grown up sort of in a Hindu, 
sort of setting. But at the time, because I was on a lot of medication, I actually thought I was hallucinating. But this image was so clear. It's like almost, it was so palpable, you know, like I could touch it, I could feel it. And all that, all that, that came from that was whatever you can't control, surrender onto me. And I'm literally looking around at the ward going, what the hell just happened? Because it's literally like, you know, I want to ask my neighbor, like, did you see that? Did you see and did you hear what that thing said? Mm. But well aware that everyone's asleep. Obviously, years have passed, and then my journey of self-love started about 2013. But things began to change. And from then, that's when I realized that all these experiences I've had have not been in vain. They've been for this reason that I'm able to even talk to you right now. You know, my story is, is who I am, is what I am about. You know, I am about empowerment. I am about spreading love and compassion because all those years that people judged me, but I'm here to say we don't need to do that. We don't need to work from old narratives anymore. We can create our own um, for a better place in the world and for ourselves. And this is a big way Tulsi lives her life now. And in doing that is where I've learned for myself I am my own version of beautiful, not anyone else's. So I had kind of almost like a, it was my coping mechanism. Just suppress it, don't deal with it, it's okay. Part of what makes her story so unique is that she doesn't remember any of the incidents right after or right before the crash. And maybe that's for the better. I have no recollection of the chaos, the noise, I'm just grateful that any trauma that came was obviously after the accident and more so my experiences rather than the accident itself. Should it come up one day because maybe my body hasn't got to that stage of bringing it to the surface, it could be stored somewhere in one organ or another. Um, I haven't quite got to that organ yet. For Tulsi to really move forward, it was important to see the crash site because she just has no memory of it. I have been back to the accident site, which is something quite amazing experience happened where, so bearing in mind, look, I'd never even seen Bangalore Airport. Obviously, I didn't because from fighting with my brother to next in my grandma's conversation. Three years after the accident was the first time I got on the plane. We went back to India, so I went with my granddad, who I continued to live with after the accident. So obviously off we went, and um, my granddad said, you know, let's go to Bangalore and maybe pay our respects, you know, sort of thing. So yeah, we went to South India, we, you know, went to Bangalore. Which meant Tulsi had to get on a plane again. Obviously, for, you know, apprehension is there, it's like, oh, God, plane. But not once was there like, oh God, this is going to crash. You know, it wasn't like that at all. There's certain parts of the journey people don't like. Some people don't like takeoff. Some people don't like landing. But I mean, I got there. I was excited. I never had that mindset where, oh my, I can never go on a plane again. No chance. I love traveling. I absolutely love it even now. And so unless I get a sailboat and start sailing or rowing, you know, I'm not going to get anywhere. <laughs> When Tulsi got there, she was really surprised at what it felt like. 
But when I got there, I sensed something had happened and I started crying. And that's the first time I've actually cried. That was the only time she'd really grieved what happened. So we went to the accident site and it was really nice because they knew who I was. And my name is quite a popular, not popular name in India, but it's a very special name because it's a holy plant. Turns out Tulsi was somewhat of a celebrity in India. And they took us to the accident site. I mean, I literally got treated like royalty when I got there. There was a wreckage of the plane site just just outside the airport. Anyway, they took us to the actual accident site. Now, to be honest with you, Jonathan, it just literally looks like a concrete slab. To the outsider, this concrete slab wouldn't mean much, but it was massive for Tulsi. And in my head, I'm going, why are you crying? It's just a concrete slab. But I actually felt like something has happened here. Not because somebody told me, but I had this sense there was a lot of pain here. Now, I'm bearing in mind, I'm 13 at the time, so I'm not really that aware about pain and trauma. But I really felt like there was lots of suffering that had happened. Tulsi finally let go of all those years of pain. Not only the physical damage or the crash itself, but the pain of losing your whole family in one night. I um, was able to leave some reefs there for my family. But for other family members, it wasn't quite as cathartic. And for my granddad, it was a different experience because the last time he was there, he was trying to identify his son's body daughter-in-law and grandson and of course in um in hindu culture we cremate you know we do we cremate so they had to do a mass cremation anyway so because so many bodies are unidentifiable they hold one group mass cremation i kind of feel like that was my way of letting go as well because i know a lot of people ask me you have a fear of going on a plane but no i don't So although Tulsi's been incredibly resilient following everything that happens, there are certain memories that still do bring a lot of pain when she thinks about them. Putting on the pressure garments, not wanting to do it, the pain's awful, don't touch me. Um, But, you know, they have to to rub the cream in to massage the scar and just no one touch me. I just want my mom. Where is she? Ten-year-old Tulsi just couldn't understand where her mom went. And she's not there, and it's literally that kind of balance between abandonment and realizing, obviously, she passed away, it wasn't her choice. It's quite a thing to juggle, and then the issue of abandonment comes up for me quite a bit. But for me, I've also learned to look at rejection, abandonment in different ways now. Like, I don't, like if a relationship breaks down, the first thing is, is it because of the way I look? Is it because of this? I sort of step out of that and go, no, the relationship broke down because X, Y, and Z, not because of the way you look. So a big component of Tulsi's story are her scars, the scars left over from the plane crash. Okay, so I've got um, 45% degree burns to my face and body. A lot of my face has got burns. My front body has all got burns, so up to my thighs. The back of my body, there's no scars, but they're all donor sites where they've taken 
skin um taking the skin so that they can grow it and skin graft my burns painful as they are they actually haven't held her back a lot it hasn't caused a lot of limitations for me mm-hmm. what it has done is caused a lot of damage in my muscles and stuff so things are coming to the surface i'm letting them rather than suppressing them i'm grateful i've got everything i've got my fingers i've got my toes i've got everything um so i have got nothing to complain about at all look there are days when it's hard it's tough it's days when it's like oh man why me gosh just give me a break but just literally giving them empowerment about you know taking control of their own lives and you know they don't have to live in this negative narrative that they may have been subjected to So since the accident Tulsi has become really close with an individual family for a very specific reason. The family that survived the, the plane crash were also from London like we're very good family, you know, family friends now. And well, in fact I call them family. Um and here's the reason why. I was on top of his daughter so he was peeling and he was pulling people out of the wreckage obviously his family first. So his young daughter who was three at the time. So the way she survived was actually to land on top of the girl. And then his wife, and he was looking for his daughter. I was on top of her, so obviously he took me out the plane as well as his daughter after. So on that level, that's how I survived. Since the accident, Tulsi's developed a completely different view on what beauty is. to be able to say i am my own version of beautiful not anyone else now it doesn't bother me if somebody finds me beautiful or not i don't care and she does not see her scars as a problem i can't cover up i just it's not me this year marked 30 years of my um, accident anniversary even despite every tough thing she's been through she really does love herself and you can really feel it when you talk to her and now she helps others do the same. Yeah, the various so like I've done some school talks, I do like some community based stuff, I also do. You know, someone has invited me to like a corporate event, I do it there, I do it at charity events. But the days when you help someone, the day when somebody says, "Oh my gosh, you just talking about that, you don't even know how much you've changed my life." That's when you know you know what all of this was worth it. You've been listening to Highly Unlikely. I'm Jonathan Flannis. I want to thank our guest today Tulsi. She has been amazing to work with and uh she's got an awesome story. So share it if you get a chance. Otherwise stay tuned and I will see you for our next episode.